The scripture for this Good Friday is from Mark chapter 15. Then the soldiers led Jesus into the courtyard of the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole cohort, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloth, cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by him derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down, come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. From among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Hoseus and Sal Salome. These used to follow him and provide him when he was in, for him when he was in Galilee, and there were many women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening came, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth, and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jose, saw where the body was laid. The Gospel of the Lord. To those of you here at church and for everybody online, God's great grace to you on this Good Friday. The text message chimed even before my morning alarm had a chance to ring. My eyes opened to the message, news of a tragic death. The last sentence read, I just can't wrap my head around this. I felt the ache in my stomach, the one that automatically triggers in crisis. My first reaction was to respond quickly with words to make this better, to let her know it will be okay. But my thumbs paused from the screen keyboard, my body stilled. What possibly can I write that will make this okay? We are wired to do just about anything not to feel pain. Healthy bodies are created this way. Neurons signal to the brain when we are about to be hurt or when we are in danger. So we quickly pull our hand away from the hot burner the sharp knife. There are also aches of the heart, which are not easily seen from the outside. We learn quickly that chemicals can numb that emotional pain. We can lie to ourselves and others to deny facing what's really happening. We get super involved and overpack our weeks. We go into manic mode thinking anxiety and discomfort is something to be conquered when we stay busy. Our minds say, let's fix this. There has to be a reason. We need a plan. Or we search to find the bright side, to inject a shot of positivity, to counter the act of weariness to avoid all the awkward, the unthinkable, the deep place in the lake where our feet no longer can touch the bottom. It is really hard to be present and non-anxious when life abruptly changes course, when the ending is not like we planned, when hardship unanticipated circumstances and evil knock down our carefully crafted lives. This story is uncomfortable to hear. 
an ongoing tale of disappointment. As hearers before, we know there is more to come, but those at the scene on that day did not. It was clearly not what anyone expected. The long-awaited Messiah left hanging dead on a cross. God, the Creator, destroyed. Which makes one question if all the previous moments of feeding and healing and possibility still existed, or were they for naught? If you need proof of what is real, just look around. There's nothing more than coercing power, another dead body, the next crucifixion is already scheduled. And then the silence of nothing. The sky darkens. Supporters who promise to stay close have long fled. The bystanders find entertainment in someone else's torture, casting lots for Jesus' last possessions. Even in Jesus' last words, crying out to God, even those words were misunderstood. There is nothing left to say. There is nothing more to hear. We never get to know what was going on in the heads and hearts of Jesus' followers. We can only imagine the swirling unanswered questions, the doubt, the guilt, the terror. How do you wrap your head around this? This day holds the heart of our human existence. This story holds a place for the awkwardness of disappointment, for grief that doesn't seem to end, for the isolation that we all have experienced so heavily this year, betrayal, oppression, the unfinished edges of this life. We have known the collective hardship of this year, the inconveniences, the mental anguish, unresolved grief, injustice, way too many details of death. Stories upon stories, you hold your own. And then a virus so contagious that not even death can be tended to amply. Nurses, already exhausted, and caregivers with them are called to bless dying bodies, to whisper words of love on behalf of separated families. The Good Friday story has been written within our collective lives if we choose to admit it. We don't get to skip the hard parts of this life, and thankfully, God does not either. In all the places God chooses to be known, it will always be here on the cross. In 
human suffering. This certainly does not stop us from crying. It doesn't put an end to injustice or squash evil, but it does proclaim that there is no place God will not be found and that miraculously and unassumingly, God is still creating even in death. There's a method of Christian meditation called centering prayer. It's not very exciting at all. A short reading is spoken, and then you just sit there in silence. Words from the reading are meant to be little handlebars to guide you when your mind wanders or when your mind will not slow down. It's about simply breathing breath by breath. It's nearly impossible to sit still, to say nothing, to simply receive the presence of God like a plant that effortlessly opens to the sun. But yet people try. The Minneapolis community has begun a daily virtual prayer time called Healing the City each day at 8 a.m. since the beginning of this trial, people gather muted on Zoom and there's a short word and then the group sits in silence for eight minutes and 46 seconds. You know the time that George Floyd's neck was constrained by a police officer. I wish I could say that every person who centers in this quiet prayer leaves a better person, but we don't. There's no way to measure the productivity or the lack of productivity in these sessions, but just for a short time, we fall back into the silence of inactivity. We rest our spirits to release the trauma and anxiousness and live in the moment of Good Friday. There's nothing really newsworthy about this time. There is only a letting go to a grace that knows the awkwardness of the moment when life sweeps us away. St. Francis de Sales, a great spiritual teacher, writes of this quiet prayer time. But if no matter how full your heart is with things you wish to say to God, your voice still fails you. Stay right where you are in God's presence. Whatever happens, it is a great grace. It is so hard to see the great grace holding the story. It's nearly impossible to believe that that same great grace meets us in the struggle and the resistance of our lives, even now. I wonder, though, how different this world could be if instead of reacting, we could simply pause and receive that love first the presence of God that goes to death for this world.
It seems foolish to believe this and even to try it. And yet we gather here tonight to do just that right now. After this sermon, there will be a time of quiet music and I invite you into the stillness, into the sacredness of this night. Whatever is holding your body, your mind, your spirit, just take that next breath. Release it and trust. When you cannot wrap your head around this life, you are still held in the great grace of the cross. Amen.